All right, welcome back to the Millennial Pastor Podcast. And today uh, we are privileged to talk with Amy, who is a youth pastor. Um, and so welcome, Amy, to the show. Thank you. I'm really excited to talk to you. We um, really quickly, I think, met at a youth event and started up just a really fun conversation um, standing in front of the girls' bathroom. I think. <laughs> Um, yes. Yeah. And so when I we were supposed to be in chapel, I think. True. This is true. So <laughs> I don't know if that's considered shunning responsibility or just relationship building. And I like to think of it as relationship building. Um, yes. Yeah. You know, somebody is worth your time when you can stand in front of a bathroom for two hours and not realize we missed chapel. Um. <laughs> So, I think all of our girls, or like most of our girls were in chapel, so we had done our job. That's right. They weren't like hanging out. Okay. Thank no. you. Thank you for bringing like the reality to that picture. Um, yeah. So anyway, I'm thankful for our friendship and I thank you for the, the weird way that it started, but that it's continued. And so I'm really excited that you're here with us today to tell us a little bit about your ministry and your call and all of that. So first and foremost, I have not done a good job so far on my um, guest hosting of having my guests give their millennial cred. So I want to (laughs) start off with that. Um, If you don't mind, like give us your millennial cred, like if you don't mind telling us how old you are and then maybe how you fit the mold or break the mold do you drink tons of coffee and eat avocado toast every day or do you like not quite fit um I think that I fit and I don't fit I do drink a lot of coffee um I we we finally got like an espresso machine at our house because I drink enough that I'm like I cannot but I don't like hot coffee I like I don't even like iced coffee. I need it to be overly sugary. So that's, yes, I fit that part. Um, to be like overly specific about coffee. Yes, I fit that part. Um, I, it's funny, like, I'm not like a hold to my millennial. Like, I'm a millennial. Except that we've gotten so much crud for being millennials that you have to be proud of being one. Oh, I see. Like, yeah. we, yeah. I mean, I'm 37 and so I'm an elder millennial. I'm in that like bracket where we're called like exennials because yeah. there's this group of us who experience childhood with very minimal technology. Um, the ability to like write papers on a computer or paint on a computer. Um, <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then grew with technology so I remember a world without cell phones and also I appreciate the world with cell phones. Um, yeah, so I'm laughing because I'm right there with you. I totally remember yes. that world and trying to step into it. So I'm also a zennial, exennial, however you say that know. word. That's me. <laughs> um, yeah. Both of my brothers and I are all in that, in that like five year bracket. So yeah. it was... I mean, we all grew up basically the same, except that I had a cell phone by the time, like before I was out of high school. That's like the only difference. So that might put you in kind of, yeah, that might put you a little 
ahead of me because I didn't get my first cell phone until after I graduated from college. Okay. <laughs> because I only got it because my parents were moving in the middle of my senior year and letting me finish. Um, and so I was going to live with another family from the church. And so they, that's literally the only reason I got a cell phone. Was yeah, because-, because back then cell phones were actually phones. And so it was like, this is a way to stay in contact with someone. So yeah. And it was really like to call each other and for emergencies, like a lot of right. it was based on in case you're out and can't call. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Right. So I was in the same situation. My husband, who was just my fiance at the time, bought it for me because I had moved back to Florida and he wanted to call just me and not my parents' house. And Mm -hmm. I was like, what am I going to do with this thing? (laughs) So yeah. yeah. Well, I didn't, I I didn't think that. that. Oh, you were excited. (laughs) Yeah. My parents, like, they didn't tell me I was getting it. They, I don't know. You know, it was probably like a kiosk at the mall. Um, it was 2000. It was either, it was the end of 2002 or beginning of 2003. Um, and they like came home and they're like, here, I mean, really just like, this is for you as like a surprise. And I was like, shut up. Like, <laughs> was so, it a flip phone? No, it was, oh. it wasn't like the heavy Nokia. It was like one of the newer, but it was, it was just like a block kind of yeah. thing. Yeah. So with a blue screen, but I learned how to text so fast. Like I would <laughs> like, this is I when, did you have to pay really part text, of that like individually? Cause that would have been yes. probably, yeah. 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 So you were in trouble and, with your phone bill. Yes. I remember like it went off in class one time and they hadn't like perfected phones by any means. And so I had set my friend's ringtone because you could do that to this like long, like, I don't know, like salsa type song. Um, Of course, it was like one note at a time. Um, (laughs) And when I tried to like open it, it did not stop ringing. So the like 40 second song completed. Right. um, In class. So that was a good day. That's fun. (laughs) So I'm probably on the, like the, the lower, the younger end of the, like grew up without cell phones, but came into them. Mm-hmm. So, but yes. And then well, I'm okay. in the church of like older people. So I feel like, I don't feel like there's like a good, easy way to be like, oh, you're Gen X and I'm millennial. And here's the differences right. because I'm with boomers and older. Right. So there's like a big gap missing there. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Well, all right. Well, kind of in that same vein, then tell us like where you grew up and maybe a little bit about your childhood and adolescent years, but specifically, I'd love to know, like, what did your family life look like around the church? Did you grow up in the church and um, kind of what, what big picture, what did that look like? Um, I grew up in Ohio and, um, like most of my year, we moved there when I was five. Um, my dad was in full-time ministry, my, most of my life up until a couple years ago. Um, and he never was a senior or lead pastor. Um, but he 
at different times was most every other role. Um, so while I was like the years I remember, um, he was a children's pastor when we moved to Ohio up until I think maybe fifth grade. And then he moved into music, the music pastor role. Um, so our life, our lives revolved a lot around church and, um, and music. So we were heavily, like all of us were heavily involved in music at school and also heavily involved in our youth group. Um, I have learned over the years that I was in like un unbelievably blessed with the family that I grew up in. Um, it's interesting approaching almost any avenue of, of ministry because of the brokenness in so many people's homes. Um, and I don't laugh like it's funny. Mm -hmm. I just laugh like I have to approach it very humbly because I did not come from a broken place. And so I can't pretend like I can empathize, but you even have to empathize carefully mm -hmm. um, because my parents were good parents doing their very best um, supportive of us. When we messed up, we got in trouble, but it wasn't like we were in trouble for embarrassing them. It was, we were in trouble for what we did. Mm -hmm. um, there was never this idea that we had to look a certain way or play a certain part because of who our dad was. Um, and sometimes it was, I don't think it was ever stated like, because people at church would say things and I think they were mostly joking, but it wasn't funny. Like, Oh, you're a pastor's kid. How did you forget your Bible? Mm. Um, stupid stuff. Like, and it was almost always stuff like that. It wasn't like deeper than that, but, um, I think it could have been if we, if any of us had struggled more in things, yeah. um, but it didn't ever transfer home. Like we never heard, I don't ever remember hearing something like I'm the pastor and you guys need to behave or anything like that. So, so there were no were expectations from your parents. What do you attribute that to? Do you think it was just your parents? Um, parenting like the way they took on parenting or was there like good leadership that they were under who also promoted that um I would say that the leadership they were under would promote that um but no, that's not why mm -hmm. um I what I have like taken in and I can say this now because my grandparents are all in heaven um my mom's parents were just kind of this between the two of them, just kind of even keel. Um, my grandpa was like very lax and my grandma was a little more like traditional. So between them, my mom grew up with both. So coming out of that one, she didn't grow up in the pastoral ministry. So there wasn't that expectation already. Mm -hmm. She was just very level-headed. My mom is incredibly level-headed. Um, my dad grew up with expectations on him for no apparent reason other than like what we would look like to our friends. Mm -hmm. So, and not, and it wasn't the craziest stuff, but like it, he grew up, you know, in the sixties. And so 
he grew his hair out and it was really thick and curly. And my, my grandma like hated how messy it always was. And they literally lived like in Southern California and he went to the beach every day. Like why that was, was he like gonna, a thing. Yeah. That was a whole <laughs> thing. And she still was just like, Oh, I just, uh, you know, like she was what I, I mean, she was just very worried about appearance. Um, there's other stuff that was very worried about appearance that has come out. That's more my dad's story. So I wouldn't share. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think coming out of that, he was determined, I think not to make a thing of appearance. So I'm like, which is unique because I know other people that come out of families like that, that repeat Mm -hmm. what they grew up with. And my dad didn't do that. So um, it wasn't just in our spiritual lives or like that kind of stuff. There was an overall like appearance is not what it's about. Mm-hmm. Like, yes, we should get up and we should get dressed and we should have clean hair for church, but it wasn't like a perfection thing. Mm-hmm. So that was just really nice that I just, I give him a lot of credit for coming from kind of a broken place and choosing to try to unbreak, try to break that chain. I don't know how to put that, but yeah, no, that's good. Um, that's good. And I'm so, assuming your, your family history is in the church of the Nazarene. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so but, it makes sense that, uh, maybe some of those things existed just because of our, uh, legalistic history with appearance. And maybe those were just sh- those struggles coming out, right? Like, Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I, you should be I groomed think, a certain way yeah I also think some of it and this isn't specific to them this is just like example like things that I've seen and some of it in the church um but also some of it across the board just um very specific to like gender roles and um uh like no body positivity within that either like the gender role has a much larger um, emphasis on women mm-hmm. having their, their bodies a certain way. And I, I think some of it is generational and some of it is church mm-hmm. because I will also say Southern California church of the Nazarene is astronomically different at than, least o- it was than Ohio, right? than Ohio yeah because that was one thing when we got to Ohio I don't remember much before Ohio um my parents didn't have any issues with the movie theater this is you know early 90s my parents didn't have any issue with the movie theater because it was the same movies we would watch later Mm -hmm. um but because he was on staff this was one thing they would like take us to the bigger city to Columbus if we Mm -hmm. wanted to go to the theater if Mm -hmm. they were going to take us if we were just going with our friends they didn't care. They didn't care if we went. It was just like, and they explained it pretty well because they were like, we don't believe it's wrong, but we also don't want this to be some kind of defining moment mm-hmm. for someone's opinion of us. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to, we're just going to not, it was, I think it was their way of not dealing with it actually. Yeah. But <laughs> I, this, but, this story is familiar to me. I have heard the same story over and over. So <laughs> yes, it's just, yeah, 
Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we had some legalism <laughs> in and around the church, but normally at home, it was, it was okay to be and ask and whatever. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, and so are you saying that your family eventually moved to California or that's just where your dad was from? My parents are both from there. Um, and then they moved back my senior year and I followed at the end, but then now they're back in Ohio. So, <laughs> okay. And then that's how you ended up in college in California then. Yes. That was my <laughs> dream school anyway. Okay. So it kind of lined itself up. Okay. Well, awesome. Basically. Okay. Well, let's transition to talking about how you, um, became a pastor or maybe your calling, um, everybody's story is a little bit different. So take us down that road a little bit. When did you feel like you might be getting a call to ministry? What did that look like? And, um, you've said your dad was a pastor. So I'm, I'm really curious who were some role models or examples for you too, as you kind of deciphered that. Um, so, I got my first and like, it's so silly sounding to someone maybe who like, doesn't believe in faithful, like a child. I don't know. I got my first calling when I was seven. Um, I was in bed and I was just like, I had headphones on and I was singing and, um, I just, it hit me. Like, it's so funny. Cause it's not what happened. It's not what I ended up doing, but, um, I thought God was calling me to be like a children's like Christian children's artist. And I like jumped out of bed and way past bedtime and ran and told my parents, like not afraid of getting in trouble at this point, (laughs) because I was like, I have news. Um, And they were really good. They were like, that's so cool. Like knowing that your first, your first call often isn't the clearest call. Like, or or clarity, you know, like Uh in the end. So, um, I went with that and then I was, I'm really thankful. My, my faith really was real at a young age. Um, so I didn't like accept Christ when I was three, just because I could speak. And my parents were like, let's get it done. Um, I did it when I was seven, like three years after most of my friends, because my parents waited on me to initiate. Um, So by the time I was like 15, I helped at a camp with children and I prayed with this little girl and, um, her prayer was so pure and also sad that God was like, Hey, I don't need you to go to any other country. I need you to stay here. Um, like I've actually had a call to not, (laughs) to not travel like out of the country um, but to American children. So that call was really clear. And then like end of high school and college was kind of confusing. I thought I was going to be like a math teacher and work like volunteer at church. And then I don't think he did this, but I think it was clarity. I failed like an early math class (laughs) in college. (laughs) And I was really good at math. Like I, like it's my best subject. And I just tanked this class in my fresh, 
freshman year. And so it was a guy who was not even like a believer in my math class. I said something like, I don't know if I'm supposed to like struggle for a little bit or what. And he was like, I don't know, like a hundred something credit seems like quite the struggle. Mm. And it's like, that's so clear. You're right. I should change my major. Mm. Um, so at that point, I, I struggled with it because I thought I knew. Um, and then just in talking to the children's pastor at the church I was attending and um, what I was already like doing as a 19 year old at that church, God was, I didn't, I didn't even have like a moment. God just kind of moved me into this place. Um, I think you just need to accept that it's full-time ministry. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, you're going to be in the church, like your dad, you can't, you don't get to escape. So, um, that was, that's my call. Um, I have a very specific call to the United States and to young people. Well, that's beautiful. So then tell me at that time, what year would this have been? Do you remember? That I knew. Like around the time. I'm just looking for like a, like late nineties, early two thousands. Um, when I, switched majors and knew it was full-time ministry would have been like 2004. Okay. So early two thousands. And, um, I'm taking us down a path of did, were we seeing a lot of females in ministry at that time? Um, (laughs) (laughs) we're not even seeing that now. So, um, but I'm curious, did that ever come into play where you might've said, well, I'm a woman. Or was it just like, of course I can serve. Like, I'm just curious. Um, so serving, it was, of course I can serve. Um, full-time ministry, it was, of course I can serve. The thing that I did not see enough of was associate and lead pastors mm-hmm. or who were female or even um, pa- female pastors being given the pulpit. Mm-hmm. Um, so I remember just, I don't even remember the sermon, but I remember distinctly at one general assembly that I don't, I couldn't name it, um, where Nina Gunter preached and the feedback I heard from adults around me was a complaint of her voice. Wow. Um, not anything to do with what she said. And I remember at some point in childhood and I was surrounded by female children's pastors, um, on the district. Mm -hmm. And I would even say strong female children's pastors, excellent children's pastors. So I don't even say that like, Oh, of course they were children's. Mm -hmm. I do think that was part of it, but also they were excellent at what they did. Um, but something, something must've been said to me, because I approached my dad and I was like, I probably was late elementary and was like, dad, what do you think of like women pastors? Mm -hmm. And it was beautiful because he like, didn't understand the question. (laughs) Um, (laughs) He was like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, what do you think? And he's like, I think that that's there. That's what they are. I don't know what you're asking. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that 
confusion was beautiful, but I also, there was never an emphasis on women. There was never, let's lift women into these roles. Mm -hmm. And while I was saying excellent children's pastors, it hit me that I wonder if they could have been excellent lead pastors. Mm -hmm. And just not given the opportunity or the imagination for it. Yeah. Um, Because they were, they were phenomenal. Mm -hmm. Um, I know them now, like other ones now that are phenomenal at what they do. And I think that their call to children is real, but I also wonder if they weren't limited. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't remember a lot of female speakers in college. I don't remember like in chapel. I don't remember very much of any of that until the children's pastor I was working under preached on a Sunday morning in church and I was floored. Mm. Um, and I didn't know that I was floored then. I think I was more like confused why a children's pastor <laughs> would preach mm-hmm. um, because I had never seen it until I was probably 20 or 21. Mm. So yeah. one children, like a female just in church preaching and to a children's pastor being taken seriously. Yeah. And, and offered the pulpit. Yeah. So that's my, that's I'm that. sitting here just like kind of taking it all in. Cause I'm thinking, I mean, we're part of a denomination that prides itself on our history of always ordaining women. And yet we have a really ugly past that we're beginning to talk about, but we're just still not so much dealing with. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes. when I think that that's less than 20 years ago in our, um, and I went to a different institution, but still the Nazarene institution, I, I can say the same things. I don't remember female speakers in chapel. I don't remember hearing a female pastor ever. And that doesn't make any sense to me, um, given our history. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think we bring these things up. I bring these things up to, to shed a light on them, to bring them back into attention and not to, not to ridicule directly, but to say who, if this is who we are, we must lean into this and this is the time like now, now is the time. Yeah. So. Um, but there's a lot of pushback on acknowledging anything broken. Yeah. Anything yeah. broken. It's painful Except, to do that. <laughs> I think it's painful, but I also am like, but what if we just acknowledged it so that we could do better? Mm-hmm. Not acknowledge it so we could hate on anybody I mean there was a meeting I was in recently and they were talking about communion we do communion once a month and I just every time I think of it I just kindly bring up asking women to help serve 
communion. Mm-hmm. And I do not get pushback from my leadership on that. He won't like, I know he has, we have like a sarcastic friendship. So mm-hmm. he might say something if we weren't like in a meeting, he might mm-hmm. joke or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in a meeting, he just is like, yes, we do need to remember that. But um, <laughs> this other guy was like, well, I mean, how many women are even, what is it? Like offering to do it. And I could have easily started arguing <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, because the next question is how many men offer or are you asking them? Or how many women would offer if they knew that they were allowed to? If they, yes. And I think a lot of it is even in the congregation I'm in, I think that they are still feeling silenced. Mm-hmm. And so, some of it is really honestly, um, maybe not like a purposeful silence so much. I can remember uh, my best childhood friend. We would always joke as kids saying that we didn't, wouldn't ever have to be an usher because all the men, all the ushers were men. It took me, I don't know, 30 years to realize, wait, we could have been ushers. Um, that was yeah. the weirdest feeling when I realized that like, wait, why were the ushers men? It made no sense. And why, so, why did it have to be men passing a plate? Yeah. <laughs> it didn't make any sense at all. Um, no, but that's where I feel like maybe your people might be with the communion. Like, well, men have always done it. Yeah. But why? <laughs> like, if this only, if only 50% of the body is serving, we cannot be yes. healthy. Well, it's not 50% of the body serving. The other 50% is serving on their hands and knees right. with children right? and cleaning and cooking. Right. Right. All the things that go on behind the scenes that actually make the church run. Mm-hmm. It's true. Yeah. The church has grown on the backs of women. So Amy, in thinking about the disparity between women and men in the church, whether that's um, just a serving as, as a church member or as, um, as the role of pastor, what are some ways that we can encourage those with platforms and positions to um, better empower or lift up those who um, are not being offered the chance? What are some ways that we could um, encourage or suggest that, that the people with those abilities do that? Um, I think at the lay level, I think to actively seek out female leadership um, just in small roles. Like if you have a call to worship, if you have, um, announcements, if you announcements really aren't a spiritual role. So like limit that one, but, um, a call to worship or prayer or 
um, helping serve communion and passing the offering plate are all roles that are looked at and seen as spiritual roles um, and leadership in the church. And so I think it's important that we actively seek out um, equality in that. Um, and I don't, you know, I don't, I'm not coming at that as like whining about the churches that aren't. I, like you, like you stated, I would say to empower women, we're not whining. We're asking that you empower women into the, like, to let them in those roles. And I think too, like, I think for the men who support women in ministry, um, who haven't done this yet, who haven't actively sought out women for these roles, I think they'll be surprised at the initial reaction from some women. Because I think there's a lot of women who have never imagined something as simple as passing an offering plate. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to do that, but then in the same light, I think that that's one of the broken pieces in the generations. I, I think that the millennials are well aware that men and women are flawed. And so why is one gender running everything um or seeing to, to run everything to normalize I, it for our children so yes. that when they reach our age a woman passing an offering plate is just not even a big deal it's not a thing um because i because that is literally an almost silent way to empower women mm-hmm. in the church um I think from a, like a pastoral stance, I was thinking about churches I've served in and kind of looking at as much of the pastoral lineage as I could. And there are churches that have been in existence for over a hundred years that have had less than five full-time female pastors. And that is scary and sad, um, especially when those staffs sometimes run on six pastors at a time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and I, I know that people will have said to me, um, well, we look for people with more experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would say, but who has offered them experience? who has made sure that they have experience because there are women that are not offered experience. Um, and so from leadership stance, I think when there is a Sunday that a pastor is going to be gone, that they make it a point to look for female preachers. Mm-hmm. Not every time we like, it doesn't have to be every time, but to, to write it somewhere so that they remember mm-hmm. um, to look for a female pastor who maybe or doesn't even, have even add a female pastor to the, to the preaching rotation, even if it's yes. every couple months, just yes. to have the face there on a regular basis. Yes. And I would also say that the next time that the church needs to fill any pastoral role that they need to make sure that they seek out at least one female applicant, even if they don't hire her. 
mm-hmm. because I don't think I, I can say, I don't think I know, but we'll say, I don't think, I don't think that females are being interviewed mm-hmm. for these leadership roles. Mm-hmm. So to say that the, that a male or a man has more experience, well, of course he does because he's being interviewed for these roles. Mm-hmm. Whereas there are churches and we know that there are Nazarene churches who will, who will not do that. And I remember at one point thinking like, you know, when there would be scholarships for a specific demographic or whatever, or places um, like, for instance, if we're going to college and there are so many places held for a specific demographic, I remember feeling like, well, that's not fair. It should be for anybody. Mm-hmm. And now as I've researched and lived, I realize we do that because, because it's necessary to make space for people who deserve these roles, but maybe didn't have the experience, didn't have somebody handing them the experience or handing them the financial means to have the experience. And I think the same thing for women in leadership in the church. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we have to make space yeah, to do so, what's biblical. And specifically in our denomination, when we look at um, higher positions such as lead pastor or district superintendent or any kind of any kind of leadership position honestly even like just um district councils or something like that the women are easily overlooked just like you're saying because they don't hold the experience but again who who is offering them the experience where are they supposed to get this experience from if no one opens the door yes someone has to do it and we have to be willing to let them come in and so when when men are allowed in at you know 21 22 and they have those years to mess up and learn and grow and be mentored Mm -hmm. (laughs) it's it's just it's 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 a completely uneven playing field so I, I respect the idea that you want a, a leader with experience, but if you're not giving that experience, you're not even giving that opportunity for like what you just said, if you're not even giving them the opportunity to interview and gain that experience, because, mm-hmm. you know, interviewing is a, is a, a skill that you learn over time. Um, mm-hmm. You don't even have that. You're starting with such an uneven yes um, the disparity there is just unreal and I just don't think that we again it's in the water right it's like well like it takes it takes um intentionality to say wait there's like 10 guys passing offering plates how come there's no women and everybody goes well I don't know I guess that's just the way it is And so it takes intentionality to step back and say, wait, how come there's no women on this local council? How come there's not a a female voice on, you know, 
um yeah <laughs> yes yes I um just look around if you it... look at your list of leaders if you've got uh, a, I think this is a good example if you have zones in your district or whatever you might call them locally if you've got 10 and they're all led by males that's that's a t that's an opportunity for you to say there's a female leader out there that can lead one of these I mean or why five, are we ordaining yes. women if we don't <laughs> we're telling them that we believe in their gifting and their calling but then we're not letting that play out mm -hmm. and I do think too like it's hard because there are men who are gifted and capable and called who I think will also have to be willing to step out or step out of the way for a minute Absolutely. sometimes. Yeah. I think that there are district superintendents who will need to say, where are the women? Mm -hmm. And we'll need to say, I guess I would have to be one that will step out if you're going to bring a female in. And I don't think that's easy. And I don't think that's always the way. Um, but I do think that it takes them saying it and pointing it out. And I think maybe even as they retire, they should be saying, mm -hmm. make sure you're looking at women too. Mm -hmm. Make sure whatever. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it would be very hard to, to step out of a role that you're good at just to uplift a woman. Mm -hmm. but there are other ways you could do it as well. Well, if you haven't brought women in on the team and mentored and trained and helped bring them up, then when it comes time to step down or to retire or to move on, then there's no one in the waiting. Then the only person mm -hmm. in the, in the hall waiting are the, are the men. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's important to say, we're not disparaging our male colleagues. Like so many no. of them are called and qualified and, wonderful at what they're what they're doing it's just that and uh, I would say <laughs> that we're not disparaging even the ones who haven't gotten on board yet I think yeah, the ones sure. that don't see it yet I have faith the ones that you can tell are called but maybe aren't great at noticing women yet have room to grow into that and it's not this like bashing of men that we're doing it's saying like no I think that you're called and I think that you know why you're called into this church and so I'm asking you to help mm -hmm. it's not it's not mad at them I'm asking you to help because mm -hmm. one those of us who are sitting here um capable of helping lead of leading and of helping with a revival of our nation, of our people, um, are waiting on you to give us space. Mm -hmm. But for me, more important than that, I'm waiting for my daughter and my son to firmly believe they are both capable mm -hmm. of doing anything God calls them to do. Mm -hmm. And I would hate for really either of them to run into somebody who still holds on to women shouldn't be doing this. Mm -hmm. And so the more we allow 
the more we ignore the ones who are saying women can't do this, the more they're allowed to stay. Well, I think what I think the call that I hear is is just as just as the Church of the Nazarene and the the church as a, a whole, right, calls yeah. us to uh, a higher living, a, a holy life that we lay down our life for the benefit of the other. Mm-hmm. This is what we say we believe. If we really believe and live into that, we are constantly laying ourselves down for the other. We have to live into that. And if the Church of the Nazarene truly says we believe in the gifting and calling of all people, both genders, then we have to lay that down at some point. And that doesn't mean that every man leaves. <laughs> and, right? right? Because we're not talking about bringing up people who are not qualified or not called or giving them a space simply because they're a woman. But we're talking about opening the door so that you can yeah bring up qualified leaders so make you, room yes makes this is what we're talking about so if this is who we say we are and this is our calling we must live into that there is no reason that we should be proud of our of our history if we're not living into it it's it's putting on a fuss um like not to get political but when we say we're a Christian nation, but we know we have all this history, we have to get in and say, this is our history. And we lament that. But now we're going to work towards. We can't undo this, but we're going to do better. This is our history and we're going to do better. And we can't do better until we say it out loud and we call attention to it. And now we work towards doing it better. And I, I have faith that we can do this Um, and it will take time and it will take trying something and failing and trying again, but we can do it. It's just going to take laying down our lives for the sake of the other. Yes. pastor in in your household um your husband does not play a have an official ministry title or role he has a a career outside of the church is that right yes he's in well he's in maintenance now okay (laughs) so so his first calling is to that and um how does that play out when I think traditionally you might have this role of pastor, pastor's wife. So now how does it look or how does it work for you guys? I I guess you can't really speak for everyone, but how does that play out Mm -hmm. for you guys and the expectations and maybe some expectations that you have just heard in general or have personally received, whatever you want to share about that. Well, the first thing I'll say is that making a joke about a pastor's husband being a pastor's wife and then laughing about it isn't funny and people should stop doing it. 
Um, but in, um, that's, that's like a real statement though. That's not a funny mm-hmm. joke. Anyway, yeah. um, in our house, I don't know. I feel like, um, everyone is different. Obviously my husband did, um, pursue me knowing I was a pastor. So to an extent he understood what he was getting himself into. Mm -hmm. Um, but also to the other extent, I came from a, uh, a a pastoral family. Um, and I would, and he came from a family where the ones he lived with the most um were one way at home and one way at church Mm. so or they tried to be I don't think they were that secretive but they thought they were um so that plays into that part but I don't think I think for him sometimes there is a feeling of inadequacy in the church um but I also feel like it just took some time to realize that his call was different Um, because we are all called to be ministers of the gospel. Um, And he has a moment where he felt a calling in his adult life. Um, And it just hadn't played out for so long. And I think it was discouraging. And our, um, you know, working with senior adults when you're not a senior adult can be difficult. And working with um, kids who do not, who have not received unconditional love um, can be difficult. Mm -hmm. And so everything felt really difficult in ministry. And then he has found a place in not so much like maintenance of the building, but in upgrades of the building. Mm -hmm. So um, we have, um, we've updated the sanctuary and we have these, I don't even know what to call them. They're not pillars, but they're like, um, they look like pillars on the back wall on the, like the sanctuary wall that you look at and there's four that go up and a light shines up and it brings this beautiful attention to the cross that was already there. Um, and he built their, their pallet wood and he built Mm -hmm. them. Um, at literal blood, sweat, and tears in that, like a trip to the hospital. Um, <laughs> and the, the youth oh room, um, the youth room has one of the most beautiful crosses I've ever seen in my life that he, that he, like he, it's built into the stage. Um, side note, if you haven't seen it, you should see it. Um, I would love to just see the it. way, just the way that it's built into it and the design of it is so purposeful and beautiful. And I don't think he even fully grasps what that importance is for the cross mm-hmm. to be such a center point. And yet he does, he made it a center point of the room. Um, so he has found a place in that in updates for the church and helping some church members with their, um, with their update, like with their upkeep of their homes. Um, he's helped with a lot of, with like different church members homes and stuff. So it looks really interesting (laughs) because I think that it's the same. I feel like as wives, 
where they have to find an actual place. Mm-hmm. Like it can't just be pastor's husband mm-hmm. and it can't just be pastor's wife. And though we have looked at it that way for a long time, it's never been healthy for those pastor's wives to only be seen as that. Yeah, so and I think what you've done a good job of um, demonstrating for us is showing that the whatever way you serve should lean into your giftings and callings. And so your husband has done that in a beautiful way and has added to the church. Um, when I think that goes negative is when say like a pastor's wife is shoved in the children's department because she's a woman or, or asked to play the piano or, you know, vice versa. Like we're just Mm -hmm. asked to do roles that seem like what the typical expected role should be. And that doesn't fit every pastor's spouse. Um, And that's just, again, just taking the intentional time to say, what would be this person's best gifting and calling and placement within the body of Christ and not, okay, well, you're the pastor spouse. So obviously you have to fill the role this way. Mm-hmm. Because we did try that. <laughs> we did try working with the teens and it did not uh-huh. work. Yeah. So, and then there yeah. was a, there was a lost period for a while. It mm-hmm. was just this confusion. Um, so and he's found other giftings that work within my department, but not directly, not directly with the kids. Yeah. So, and I think that's okay to be yeah. okay with that. Um, yeah. Well, then let's shift to motherhood because you've already said that you have two children, a boy and yeah. a girl. And let's talk all things motherhood while pastoring. Um, the expectations that are there, the stereotypes, (laughs) things that you thought maybe, maybe what you thought it would look like and what it actually looks like, whatever you want to say. Okay. Um, well, I, I am in this seriously blessed situation. Um, my lead pastor is really one who has shown that he believes in me and um what I'm what I'm called to do and so he's not real picky about where I do the work for that um and I say real picky he's not picky at all so (laughs) so literally since the beginning of the pandemic I've essentially worked from home um except during actual service times or if I'm taking somebody out to eat or whatever um because when it started, I didn't want, I had a, I think she was two at the time. I had a two-year-old um, and I didn't want her to get staff members sick when her preschool closed and I was going to have to take her to school with me or to work with me. Mm-hmm. I didn't want her to get my other staff members sick because we didn't know much about it. Um, and then I got pregnant because, because lockdown and then. Because what else um, are you going to do during a pandemic? <laughs> what so because what else are you gonna do during a pandemic (laughs) so we have a we have a pandemic baby who is one now and um just with everything that goes into uh like the early stages of of all the infant stages basically 
um, and feeding and all of that. It was, I, I tried several times to like pack everything for the day and take it in um, to the office. And it was just so much that it wasn't, it was taking up more time right. to do that <laughs> than I was getting anything done because there's acclimating the child to the office. And I had done that with my first one, but not when she was a newborn. And so I could, I'm working on doing it now. He's a little over one, but motherhood has looked like essentially sitting on the couch with a computer mm-hmm. um, <laughs> or, or my phone. Cause I do do a lot of work on my phone. Um, but, and then letting the, him play in the living room um, it's allowed me to keep working as well when my older child has gotten sick. And so I'm used to being home and working. Um, I don't get very much done those days when she's here, but mm-hmm. I feel very blessed. And I, I'm only saying that because I think to say that we support women in ministry a hundred percent, I think it's important to acknowledge her needs. Mm-hmm as a mother. And so I'm, I'm cheering on my lead pastor and my leadership at the church in that. Is it, they, I feel like they've acknowledged it's more important that I'm doing ministry and also being a mother than it was for me to be in the office. And I think that plays into millennial as well. I think that's a perfect shout back to what we were talking about, like where you have, where you are given the position to open doors and encourage and support, you should do that. And so this is a perfect way, instead of a pastor to say, oh, we're having a baby. I guess we'll see you in five years when your kid goes back to school. Instead, Mm -hmm. you say, hey, I trust you and value like, we don't want to lose you. We value you enough that we want you to stay. And I have a professional relationship with you enough to trust that you're going to be working from home, even with the interruptions of toddlers and what they bring. And we can work that out professionally. We don't have to sit here and nitpick of all the details, but that I want you to be the best mom you can be because that's going to make you also the best pastor you can be and make yes. us the best team in church. And, yes. and so we don't have to see as having a family as a closed door to ministry. And we also don't have to see it as, I guess I have to pause my career and stop what I'm doing or make a decision. Do I have a family or do I have a career? Like they can go hand in hand and yes. the church can flourish from that. Yes. Yes, it can. I, I actually think that, especially like in the role I play with, with kids and teens, I think it's also of utmost importance that they see me be a mom Mm -hmm. as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that across the board, because we have this idea that if you're working, you're not a very good mom Mm -hmm. or you're not very present. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you're not working, are you really contributing to the household, which of mm-hmm. course you are, but there's this dialogue. And so for, I think for people to see that you can be a good mom while working is also important within leading young people. 
Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah. most of the moms today don't actually have the option to stay home. Right. Normal family units don't have that option. And so, so I think that's important that they see both. And I think that it's also, I think it plays into the whole, I'm not going to spiral, but I think it plays into the whole dialogue of if we're really pro women and if we're really pro life mm-hmm. um, and we're pro family, mm-hmm. then we make space for those things. And I have not always been in this kind of situation. I have heard things like, maybe it's important for you to, to be a mom first right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember saying, telling my brother that, and initially I think that he wasn't as caught off guard until I said, are you a dad second just mm-hmm. because you work? And then, and I, he's such a feminist, like <laughs> anyway, so it's not like he was just processing what I said until right. I restated it for him. And then it didn't take any more processing. Dads right. are not thought to be putting family second when they put work first. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. let the fam, let stop. I guess it's making space. It's yeah. still making space. I, for I think women. you hit it really well when you talked about the tension between, am I a good mom if I stay home or am I a good mom if I go to work and provide? And we shouldn't even have to ask that question. Like it just, am I a good mom because I love my kids? And, yes. and I, again, if, if we are given options, if we are, if we are welcome to the table with a discussion about what's best and how to work this out, we don't have to sit there and think, well, I'm a bad mom because I'm going to go to work or I'm a bad mom or, you know, I'm better right. because I stay home. Like, those are the kind of things that are put on us falsely because we are not given options. Right. Um, and I know it looks different for every mom and every, um, every situation is going to look completely different, but, um, since we were talking about you and, but I think, you know, a lot of, um, churches have a lot of flexibility. And so we're, that's who we're talking to. We're talking to churches and pastors. And so it, if you're somebody who has a, a female on staff who is, you know, in the middle of having a family, male or female, honestly, um, these are conversations that should be happening and you should be processing and they are not showstoppers. We don't have to say, well, see you in five years. Like we don't have to do that. Um, no, we don't. Um, yeah. If yeah. we will make space. Yeah. So what does the church, and I'm not just talking about leadership, but what does the church need to know or understand about pastors who are parenting? <laughs> like you made the, you made the comment about or like early in our conversation about how someone said to you as a child, well, you're the pastor's kid. You didn't remember your Bible, you know, and, and those are mm-hmm. things that we can laugh at and, and play off, but you remember that statement. I do. And so what are some things that, you know, maybe you just want to call out and say, here's a better way to <laughs> approach that. I just think that sometimes we forget leadership um, are still humans mm-hmm. um, and their children are still children. So um, 
you know, when I see, I think what I would say is to treat people's children maybe even better than you treated your own. Mm. And that's just for some who maybe weren't as nice to their children, but for the most part, you could say, treat them the way you want your children treated. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it's been interesting um, asking for things like maternity leave um, because you can tell that there's a lot of women who are like, yes, that's what we should be doing. Mm -hmm. And men too. But some women are like, come and tell their stories of not getting maternity leave. And some of that I feel like is lamenting. And some of that I feel like is thinking I don't need it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, Or trying to look like the hero because you're expected to. Like you're trying, I think, trying to, to keep your position, sustain your instead of saying, Hey, I'm a human being who just gave birth. I need time to recover. <laughs> right. And bond with my child. And, um, I guess I don't, I don't know. I think I would say like, like probably my biggest thing is we're still a family. So when you attack us, it's attacking a family. Mm-hmm. When you attack mm-hmm. me, it's attacking my family. Mm-hmm. When yeah. you think, when you think of me, I need you to think of my children too, because I'm their mom. So I'm not, I'm not flawless and I will mess up. Um, but when you, when you think I should not mess up, like that's, I don't, I don't know how to answer your question. exactly. Yeah, no, I totally, I, I think that's good. I, I think it's, I think it's clear. And to just, we don't, I, I think the message is to not see your pastoral family as, as superheroes or super Christians or just as human as everyone else. Um, Yes. Because, because if they will remember, I bet that their marriage really struggled when Mm. their kids were really young. Right. And it didn't mean that the marriage was failing. It meant that they needed people to watch their kids right or to just right. say you're doing so good mm-hmm. um yeah. to even okay. acknowledge <laughs> to even acknowledge it might it might be struggling and they just need all the prayer and not the gossip absolutely yeah so i think that's good so yeah that's what i would say um so we've kind of we we've hinted at it. I don't know if we directly said that you're a youth pastor, (laughs) but so you work with teenagers. Um, and so some of us, when we hear the word youth pastor, we have images of what that looks like. I I think our youth ministries are, are shifting a bit. I don't know. Um, but for you, what, can you just give us like a, a snapshot of what that looks like? Maybe like, what does your week look like or your month or, and how like some responsibilities and things that you do? Um, so I don't know if it's this generation or if it's my kids, but a lot of time is a lot of time, uh, 
is spent in contact with them in some way. Um, just like I, you know, I follow them on whatever social media they'll let me. And, um, and so not like consistently responding to everything, but I do watch their stories. I do. And, and yes, I enjoy it, but I also know that I'm like one of the few adults watching out for them sometimes. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I actually like, that's a purposeful thing when mm -hmm. I go in, cause I don't sit on Snapchat in my own time. <laughs> um, I'm literally <laughs> on, like, it doesn't look like work, but I'm literally on Snapchat for work. Right. Um, and that's where like the group text with most of them is. And, um, I make the contact with them. So, um, that's actually like a good part of my week is contact with them. They, I'm the contact to church. This is so, relationship building 101. Yes. Yeah. Um, when I got to the church and I was like trying to get everyone's phone numbers and they would be like, I don't have a phone number, but I have a phone. And uh -huh. so um, I had Snapchat, but I didn't use it. And I had to really learn to like use more of it when I got here um, because they didn't have working phone numbers. So to get in contact with them, because if you just roll up in a church van without contacting them, they will not come to church mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> or you'll wait way too long and you don't have time to do that. So that's part of it. It was relationship building and, you know, like making sure they knew this is when the van will be there. Um, and then the other portions of it are, so I'm, I do teens and children. Um, so making sure the lesson and activities for the children on Sunday mornings are done. Um, I like to get the teens to teach that stuff if I can. And so nailing down a teenager that I trust <laughs> who will be there on Sunday morning um, and then getting them the lesson and getting them what they need if there's things to buy for it, whatever. Um, so Sunday mornings then are spent um, picking up kids, kids and teens, and then we feed them breakfast. And I have my husband either cooks breakfast or we do like Eggo waffles and the pre-cooked sausage and do it in the microwave and toaster. Um, so it's still a hot breakfast. So let's uh, clarify for just a second. So you're saying you are the okay. youth pastor and the children's pastor. Yes. Okay. And then you're also <laughs> the bus ministry person. Is that what I'm hearing you say? Um, yes. So that has all, um, the people that were running the bus, um, and this plays into the demographic, uh, one of them has gone to heaven and the other started losing his sight. So the bus, the van was going to fall off if I didn't start driving it, which would, mean um, you would lose kids. Most of them. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Um, our van was out of commission for like three weeks because we had the catalytic converter stolen and we didn't see kids for three weeks. So, <laughs> so, um, so it yes. might be important to right here. And I don't mean to cut you off to talk about your context. So we're talking about kids who come without a parent yes. or guardian. And yes. so you're, if, if they're going to participate at the church, 
and with the body of Christ on a Sunday or Wednesday, they're going to get onto a church owned vehicle and you're going to be the one to come and get them. That is correct. Okay. Yes. Um, Which is why it's important for you to be on Snapchat during the week. <laughs> yeah. Which yes. we didn't talk so about that, for your millennial cred, but being on Snapchat, I think that that's that is it. You should have just said that. Yeah. And then I'm on Snapchat and I know what I'm doing on Snapchat. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know how to do all the things, but I can, I can, I can do it. Um, millennial cred is like being on all of the mainstream social media. Yeah. All of them. Um, cause it's, you gotta have the older stuff. And then anyway, um, so Sundays are pick them up and bring them. We do breakfast. I have one or two really great, well, three, some Sundays, really great volunteers that have, are the only reason that there are children at that church because they have always been in the children's department ready for them, even when there were none. Um, and they are still there and they are still serving breakfast and they, um, they show up with extra food that they will not turn in a receipt for. Mm. Um, so I have to give credit where it's due right now. Um, we do breakfast and then we go into, um, uh, like a children's church time. So we have worship and lesson and try to do a game, but our kids are really hyperactive. And so we don't always do a game because it's hard to bring them back. Mm -hmm. Um, but we have space for them to move and all that before and after. Um, and then again, through the week preparing for Wednesday night is when I will run the van again and pick up teenager, just teenagers. And we have a youth service on Wednesday nights. Um, and we've started doing like sort of a band, but also sort of just like putting sheet, not sheet music, um, lead sheets in front of them. And those that would rather try to play during worship, do that. Um, and so they get to be part of worship. Mm -hmm. Um, cause they're not all super used to like standing and mm -hmm. all of that. So mm -hmm. trying to find places for them to serve without a ton of extra work. Mm -hmm. Um, that's the majority of my week, except that like, it also looks like doing it in the midst of my own children. Mm -hmm. And like Wednesdays are always extra stressful because I have to get out of the house before my husband gets home. And I don't like to take my baby anywhere because society is insane. Um, so. it sounds exhausting. And so if your child comes without our Bible, we all understand now. Like, yes this, and this also is the context that I just want people to get like I'm so busy also being all these other children and ministering and picking up and caring for like yeah so my daughter my children have bonus grandparents who would both give them the world if they could and I believe take somebody out if they gave them a hard time so I'm not I'm not like overly concerned for my children my children, I think that, I think I'm more concerned with like people forgetting they're attached to me. Mm -hmm. Um, <laughs> but, um, like my daughter is literally allowed to wear almost anything to church and I do not care. So she consistently wears dress up dresses to church. And I'm like, I don't care. I, I don't care. 
she's been Mirabelle from Encanto like three different weeks <laughs> and I don't care like <laughs> I don't care um so my yeah. daughter went through a phase where she was Rapunzel for a while so I get that and yeah. I and it's awesome and you pay money for those clothes so wear them <laughs> so wear them and it is a dress and when we say like wear your best for God. She's like, let me go get my dress up dresses because they're my best. (laughs) Um, so yeah, she, we don't, I'm such a digital age. I don't carry a Bible. Mm -hmm. Like I don't carry one. So if they said anything to me, I'd be like, okay, well, I probably have as many highlights in my Bible as you do in yours, but Mm -hmm. I don't hold a big one. Thanks for joining us for this really important conversation today regarding women in ministry. Our conversation went longer than anticipated, and I feel like it's so important that we continue hearing Pastor Amy's voice and all that she has to offer us in field of youth ministry. And so for that reason, we've decided to continue our conversation in a couple weeks and pick up with a part two that we'll be discussing at that time, all things related to youth ministry and Pastor Amy will share insights on working with students of color. We'll talk about why the church struggles to extend hospitality to the other. And what does addressing stereotypes head on and being an advocate look like in real life? I really hope that you'll join us again for that important conversation in two weeks. Until then, be blessed, and thanks for joining. This has been the Millennial Pastor Podcast. This show is created and produced by Byron Certain and Josiah Jones. It is edited by Caden Barksdale. Original music by Andrew Jones. And today's host is Amy McCroskey. We thank you so much for listening. And we would ask that you would rate, review, subscribe, and share with friends. And until next time, stay tuned for the next Millennial Pastor Podcast.